0: The title of today's message is The Mob Mentality. Now the mob mentality is usually not a good thing unless you happen to be the guy or the teammate of the guy who just hit the game winning run and you're running down the, from third base home and you're dancing, you're excited, you throw off your helmet and everybody's there waiting to greet you at home plate and they're, they're jumping with you and they're throwing Gatorade on you or you make that game winning shot and the whole crowd goes wild, that's when mob mentality is good. But typically, the mob mentality is not a good thing. It usually uh, involves the destruction of property, uh, whether it's a business, whether it's somebody's car, whether it's somebody's life, it usually does not end well. It involves a bunch of people who get on a a rampage or on, on board with something that somebody said and it takes it out on everybody else. Typically, when a mob gets going, it's very hard to stop a mob. Uh, it, it doesn't typically start, stop with just one person saying one thing. It usually ends up with the dogs or water cannons or tear gas is finally dispersing and breaking up all the people. Uh, in today's passage, there's a mob scene, but it's not broken up with the tear gas or water cannons or anything of that. It's broken up by one man saying a little bit of wisdom. And that was enough to disperse everybody. And this man who spoke the truth was not Paul. This was not one of Paul's companions. This was a guy who didn't even necessarily care about Paul or anything about that. But God used somebody totally unexpected to do his work to to stop this mob scene. Uh, Before we dive into this and see where where in the world does this have to do with us, I I would like to ask God's blessing on this passage, on this message. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you for Paul's life. I thank you, God, for the work that he, he did for you and he demonstrated so well for us to follow. I just pray that, God, you would help me to accurately share this word uh, with myself and with everybody who's listening to this, that we would leave today more encouraged to follow you in spite of what it costs us, knowing that people aren't going to like it if we take a stand for what's right, but, God, knowing that in the end, it's worth it. It's all worthwhile to, to serve you over what man thinks. I just pray that this truth gets hammered and comes out clearly uh, in, in the next 30 minutes or so. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So point number one, the first thing we're going to be looking at today is when you fulfill God's assignment, you are going to face man's opposition. When you choose to do what God wants you to do, there's going to be somebody out there or a group of people who are not going to appreciate it. This is what we see Paul experiencing. And when you look at that, uh, as as I look through this passage, I thought, here we go again. Here's Paul facing another persecution, another trial. He's going from place to place preaching Jesus. And yet, and here he goes facing more and more persecution. And I have to ask the question, why does this keep coming up? Why are we going over the same idea over and over again? Well, for a couple reasons. One, you know, Paul was told, or God was wanting, was going to let Saul, who later became Paul, know how much he must suffer for his name. When Saul was around Damascus persecuting Christians going off to haul them, to put them in jail, uh, he, a light, bright light shined from heaven and it blinded him. And a guy by the name of Ananias was supposed to go and restore Paul's, Saul's sight and he tells them I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul's just experiencing persecution as a part of life. But Paul also recorded in Scripture to to a man named Timothy who right now is with him on a missionary journey. He tells him this later on, but it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now I I won't I I should do this, you know, I should throw in a David Jeremiah thought every single week and say, here's the David Jeremiah thought for the week. Uh, but he was preaching a message that I heard once, and he said, he always took it the way I did. If you're going to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted, right? That's pretty obvious. But he says, in fact, everyone who wants to, anyone who desires, you have that thought in your mind, I want to live a godly life, you're going to face Persecution. You're going to face trials in your life if it's just in your mind that you want to do the right thing. Well, Paul tells Timothy these words later on while, while Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, which is where the story takes place. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll see Paul lead Timothy there. And Timothy is going to be a pastor in Ephesus. And Paul writes him these words. Uh, if you're going to live a godly life, Timothy, you are going to be persecuted. Paul experienced it. Timothy needs to know that because he's probably going to experience something. And it's exactly the same for you. If you want to do the right thing, somebody out there is not going to like it. And we see this happening, first of all, behind the scenes. You know, because usually when, when a mob gets started, it doesn't start with 20 people all at once. It starts with one or two disgruntled people who get the bowling ball going, the mob ball going, and then it expands. And then from there it expands and expands till finally you have that great big mob of people who are breaking down the stores and tipping over the cars and bashing in people because it started with one person. Today it doesn't get violent, but it's the same idea as a typical mob. And first of all, it starts behind the scenes. All this all this uh, persecution, all this uh, opposition that Paul and his friends are going to face happens behind closed doors, and so they don't know anything about it. It says, uh, verses twenty. let me read verses 23 to 27 chapter Acts chapter 19: 23 to 27. It says, about this time there arose a disturbance, a great disturbance about the way. Now we saw last week the way is referring to Jesus who says in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life." So there, there's a great disturbance about Jesus and the way of salvation. Verse 24 says, A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, or as your Bible might say, Diana, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said... Men, you know how we receive a good income from this business. And you see and you hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here at Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's there's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the world, will be robbed of her Divine Majesty. All behind the scenes, you have a guy by the name of Demetrius who who's upset. He starts to recognize that. Wait a second. There's there's a pocket. My pocketbook is my 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 budget is going down. There's less and less money. Now what what he's talking about was this this great big temple that was. huge deal. This wasn't just like some little temple on a corner. This was like 400 feet by 200 feet of a temple. It took 227 years to build. Now I'm not really familiar with the seven wonders of the world are, but it was said that this was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was that impressive of a place that people came from everywhere to see this temple. And as they came, they had to have a place to stay. And as they came, they had to take their own little shrine of this god is home with them. I don't know if they wanted to worship it or if it was their souvenir but all of a sudden people aren't coming they are flocking there like they used to and and this guy by the name of Demetrius realizes the connection. Paul's been preaching he's been saying whatever and it's that his message is expanding and as his message is expanding our income is shrinking and so he gets together all the people of the business. Maybe it's the competition like I have my own little stand my own little shrines. You have yours. We've got to get together. Uh, the people who are providing the food. The vendors. The people who are putting up the lodging. For the people coming from out of town. This this big... Um, Attraction is starting to dwindle and he recognizes this he says we've got to do something about this so behind the scenes this big storm is starting to build as Paul is trying to or as uh, Demetrius is trying to group all these people together to, to get this stopped to get the, the message of Paul stopped It was a great big moneymaker, and he wanted his money. He wanted to worship this goddess, but he also wanted the money, and he saw that this was affecting his pocketbook. And that's how a mob mentality grows. It starts with one person who is upset, and that person can't contain that frustration till they tell somebody else. And then it expands wider and wider and to where it finally, it finally explodes, it finally explodes, and so what was behind the scenes gets made known everywhere, okay, that's what happens with the mob scene, and so that's what happens in this scene, all the people who were upset, it ended expanding until everybody was very vocal about their thoughts, so right in front of everybody, this was kind of starts taking place, it says, when they heard this, They were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. This is a mob scene. It starts with one person, expands to everybody. The whole city is in uproar. And the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and they rushed as one man into the theater. This is kind of what the theater looked like. That could hold twenty-four thousand people. Now I don't know how much how much the Dallas Cowboys Stadium can hold. It, what's that? One hundred thousand. Okay, so you could fit four. You could fit four Cowboys stadiums of people in here. Uh, they don't have the t, the big TVs in obviously out there. They don't have the sound system, but you can fit twenty-four thousand people into here, and that's where they hauled Paul's companions. It says Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of their providence or province, friends of Paul, sent him a message and begging him not to venture into this theater. Verse 32, this is where it kind of gets silly. It says the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another, and most of the people did not even know why they were there. Right? When you, when you have a mob, it's the, the, the truth is at the purest at the very start. We, we are angry about this, and then as it expands, it starts to weaken, but people are still following that, and the truth gets watered down, but everybody's believing what they're hearing because the truth is it's getting watered down and people are are jumping on a bandwagon you're upset about this I'm going to be upset about this even though I really don't know all of what is going on people saw there's a great big crowd of people joining together I'm going to go find out what's going on I'm going to join in this even though I'm not fully invested into what the problem was and they were in this theater. And you got these Paul's companions who are probably pretty scared. Paul's not around at this point. We're going to see in a few minutes he wants to get there, but he's not there. His companions are there, and I think they are afraid. The, Paul's companions were facing opposition because they were trying to do fulfill what God wanted. And when you... Try to do what God wants you to do. You are going to face man's opposition. People are not going to like you if you choose to do what God wants. Now that makes sense, you know, among non-believers. You know, there's a situation a couple of years ago with Noah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about his math skills, right? I'm going to talk about something else with Noah. A couple of years ago, he was talking to a kid, a grade younger, about Jesus or about salvation. It's one of those kind of conversations. Well, it was a one on one conversation. Well, that kid apparently did not like what Noah said because he took it to his classroom. And it, without knowing the whole truth, the whole classroom all of a sudden hated Noah because of this conversation that's getting watered down the mob starting to grow until last year at the the end of the year um, school board meeting parents were bringing that up to me in, in front of the whole school board and in front of all the people there of what they heard that noah had said and it just expanded and expanded and expanded until finally i could say that's not really what happened But it's been brooding, it's been going behind the scenes for the last two or three years because Noah was trying to do what God wanted him to do. He's trying to let a kid know through a conversation that you need Jesus as your Savior. Here's the consequences if you don't. I mean, it's just a kid-to-kid conversation that expanded. But you can expect that in a non-believing world. They don't like what you're doing. They don't like hearing the, what, what a sin is. They don't like to hear Jesus is the only way. They don't like a stand you might take against abortion or against homosexuality or against anything else that they, the world says is okay. And so if you take a stand and do the right thing, the world's not going to like you. Now, that might make you think, I might bite my tongue next time. I really don't want the world to hate me. I have to live in the world. I have to go to the real job, Josh. You know, um, it's kind of funny. The last couple of days, uh, I was working with Jason and in my front yard, and I said, man, it is tough to be you guys, because you guys work. You guys do <laughs> real work. I mean, I got, I got two Band-Aids on my hand, and I got a sore spot that I could put another Band-Aid on. Right? And I'm like, obviously these hands do not do... My back was like killing me, because I don't really work like you guys do. And I know you guys got to go out in the real world. And you've got... You're mingling with people that I don't mingle with. I mean, I I can try, but you guys got to go out there. And it's tough. It is tough to make the stand for Jesus at work, and I got to go back to work the next day. And I got to go back to school the next day. I got to live with my neighbor. It's tough because it's it's not like a one-time and done. You know, someone can come into this church and I can offend them and never see them again. But when you got to live with these people, it is a tough place to be, to to take a stand for Jesus when you got to live with these people every day of your life. So it's hard. And it's it's expected, but it's difficult. If you're going to do the right thing, the outside world is not going to like it. You know, but sometimes... Within the body of believers, you try to do the right thing, and it, you're going to face opposition. And that's what's pretty sad. Leslie and I, are first year of, of marriage, uh, you know, we, we're in love, and we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner at our house. And Leslie, of course, she, she decorates everything. She cooks all this turkey, and we, we catch wind that somebody in the family is living with their girlfriend, well, they're, and they're believers. They would claim that they're believers and they're living together with their girlfriend. And so I call them up on the phone, scared to death, and, and I just questioned them about that. I didn't say, shame on you. I didn't say, wicked. I didn't say, you're going to hell. I didn't say nothing. I was just asking them a question about that. And they very politely said, I don't have to tell you anything, click. They would tell you they yelled and ripped off, bit my head off on that conversation, but they didn't. But they very politely said, I don't have to tell you. And they hung up. Okay, that's awkward, but we're, we're still having Thanksgiving dinner. I didn't even say you weren't invited. We didn't even get that far of, of anything. Well, everything's going along fine until we get to the Thanksgiving dinner. And all of a sudden, this very beautiful, decorated, yummy food dinner turns into this big, massive explosion because that, those people didn't show up, but they shared it with other believers, other family believers, and they got brought up at that conversation. And before you knew it, it was the worst Thanksgiving ever all with believers for trying to, to do what God wanted us to do, or even start trying to get to that direction. And so if you're going to do the right thing, whether with people who are unsaved or people who are saved, you are going to face opposition. And that is a scary, tough place to be, especially amongst family and amongst friends, amongst church people trying to do the right thing. It's a tough place to be. And as I was as I was going through this passage and thinking like here we go again now what would possess people to do this what would possess people to do the right thing outside in the real world when everybody's going to hate me what's going to possess me to do the right thing inside the church or amongst family members who are going to hate me what's going to possess me to do that I'm going to be persecuted I'm going to go through a tough time well, obviously there's the thought of what Jesus went through for me, but also uh, what came to mind was what we're going to see kind of as a second point is that God has it in control. Now, I know we just got out of school, but I want everybody to go back to the fifth grade with me for just a second. Okay? can everybody think what it was like as a fifth grader? This is this is what I want you to remember for the whole message. In 10 years, I want you to remember this. Okay? you know, in the fifth grade, I used to say boys rule and girls drool. Or you might say girls rule and boys rule. Whatever. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. (laughs) Okay. This is what I want you to remember. God rules. The mob drools. You know, God is ultimately in control of everything. The mob wants to be. The mob tries to be. It's going to do its best to persuade you to shut your mouth, to go along with their flow, to do what they think. As a group, you're outnumbered. A whole church to one. A whole Basketball team to one, a whole workplace to one. But remember, God rules, He is in control. The mob rules. It's, it's a wannabe, right? It's not going to happen. God rules, the mob drools. So when you face opposition, remember that ultimately it is God who is in control. Yes, the, the mob looks like it's in control. My neighbor looks like my workplace. It looks like they're affecting my life and it's all negative. But ultimately, anything that's happening is only happening because God is in control. Uh, Let me read verses 35 to 41. So Acts chapter 19, 35 to 41. It says, The city clerk... Okay, so here, let me back up for here just a second. You have you have uh, Paul's companions in the theater. You have all those mass number of people who have joined in not knowing what's going on. Uh, it says that they took a guy by the name of Alexander. This is how this organized they were. Here's a man named Alexander. Let's let him talk. And all of a sudden they realize he's a Jew. He's on Paul's side. Let's get rid of him. So for two hours, we're just going to shout, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. That's going to accomplish a lot. We're all just saying this over and over and over. And that's what's going on. Here until the city clerk in verse 35 catches wind of this and says, We've got to do something about this. And says the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, "Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here though they have neither robbed the temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and they there are pro." Consoles. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a large illegal assembly. Verse 40 says, as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Chapter 20, verse 1 says, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and encouraged them and said goodbye. So Paul was able to escape. These guys were able to leave. Uh, because God is ultimately the one in hand. Now, Paul's friends, they're, they're scared. They probably would like somebody to come to their defense, somebody to get them out of that situation. Well, Paul wanted to do that. Paul was the guy who says, let me get in there. Let me go talk to these people. 24,000 people, awesome. I am not intimidated. I want to take advantage of this to share the gospel. Paul wanted to go to the defense. He wanted to speak to the opposition. But Paul's friends wanted to protect him from the opposition. They wanted, they wanted to, uh, the disciples that were with him said, no, Paul, you can't go. There's other people of legal nature that said, Paul, you cannot go into this. Possibly you would die. If you went to that, you would end up in jail, but they would not let him go speak on his own de- defense, speak on his own behalf. He's ultimately the one who's caused all the problems. If Paul is not there, if it's not affecting the pocketbooks of the goddess of Artemis, there would be no problem whatsoever but because paul is so bold to speak the truth to come to to say what god wants him to do it's created problems for everybody everywhere and paul wants the opportunity to speak on his own behalf but god had another op- answer for the opposition he didn't say, Paul, go ahead and speak the truth. He didn't say, hey, why doesn't somebody else who's trying to stop Paul go and speak the truth? He used to know, a no-name, somebody that we really don't know much about, uh, a guy, uh, the city clerk. And as the city clerk, he says, he's able to silence the people. And says, you guys already know how great the goddess Artemis is. And how he's known, or she's known worldwide and, and how Ephesus is the... Uh, the place where her temple is to be built once the statue fell from heaven. You guys already know that. It's okay, which is all lies. But that's what he believed. And God used somebody who's speaking on his own behalf, his own truth, in order to calm everything down. And the city clerk, he didn't agree with Paul. He didn't say in the back of his mind, I think Paul's really right here. All he wanted to do was to to stop the mob. He says, you know what's going to happen? Is all this commotion is going to get to Rome. All the people in Rome are going to want to come here and to stop this. And what else is going to stop is our religious freedom. We're not going to be able to worship freely like we want to. And so for a purely selfish, out-of-the-world reason... God used this guy to stop the mob scene. It wasn't water cannons. It wasn't a gun. It wasn't uh, tear gas. It was just one man speaking a little bit of something he thought true in order to stop this. And that's why I say when you face man's opposition, remember God is in control. God doesn't need you to defend yourself. God doesn't need you to defend somebody else. He doesn't need anybody else to get involved. He can use some outside source to take care of the problem. And I realize that's very difficult. Because when I look at this, I look at, I think of Noah's situation. If I was in Noah's shoes, and I hear this is going on for like three years, I want to defend myself. I want to say what I, what did I mean? What were my actions? I want to speak on my own behalf to to give an answer for why I did or said what I did. I think most people are going to want to, if, if there's a rumor going around about you, you want to defend yourself, right? Most people, you want to say that's true or that's not true, or here's the whole truth, not just that little tidbit that somebody said. You're probably going to want to defend yourself just like Paul wanted to defend himself. But you might not be given the chance to defend yourself. Paul didn't get the chance to defend himself. He had somebody else entirely different come to the rescue. Now, when you're facing opposition, you might have someone like the situation with me, Noah. I was able to defend Noah. Noah had no idea that was even going on. Uh, He didn't know until this morning when I said, this is the situation I'm going to bring up about you. He had no idea that it got brought up at the, the school board meeting. But I was there, and I was able to defend him. Whether anybody believed it or not, not that's up to them. But God had me there, and I took, it up, took advantage of that opportunity to speak on Noah's behalf. Now, when you, when you take a stand for Jesus, or you take a stand for uh, pro-life, or you take a stand for submitting to authority, or whatever that stand is, you may not get the opportunity to defend yourself. But God might have somebody else in that different circle speak on your behalf. Um, it might be somebody who's, who agrees with you. It might be somebody who doesn't agree with you, but says, you know what? I know Nicole, and I know that what you're saying about Nicole isn't really true. I know her character. I don't like Nicole, but I I, I, I know that this is not her character. And so some non-believer, non agreeer with Nicole might come to her defense because they know that what she's saying or what she said was really true, or they, they said that doesn't sound like her. I'm just trying to point out where it might not be you defending yourself. God might use somebody completely different to defend you. And that's tough. It is tough to wait and trust God to take care of that, especially when I, when I want to defend myself. But God might not use anybody uh, to, de- to defend yourself, to defend you. You know, you might find yourself facing the firing squad because of something that you did or something that you said. You might find yourself hated, ba- uh, banned, you know, from the whole community or from the kids in the locker room or from your classmates because you took a stand for Jesus. And you're just stuck going through that. And I know that is a, a tough place to be. But what you have to remember is that God rules the mob rules they are they, want to be, they want to have that position that God has, but they can't. God is in control. So in this world, if you're going to live a godly life, if you want to do the right thing, if you go out and take a stand, if you tell something, tell somebody or tell somebody something or do something that other people don't like, it's a given. You just got to buck up and accept people are not going to like you. I like people to like me. I want you all to like me. I don't want to do anything to offend you or anybody out there, so I know that it's difficult. But you are going to face opposition. It is just part of it. We just have to accept that's the truth. But we also have to accept is that God is in control of the outcome. Whether somebody speaks in your defense or not, whether you get crucified or not, ultimately God is in control. So remember, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let your eyes, once they, and it will happen, your eyes are going to go to your situation. It's going to get focused on the people. I'm speaking from experience here. It's going to get, my eyes are going to get focused on the people who are speaking things or who are rejecting me. But I got to get my eyes off of people. And remember to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. Because God rules and the mob rules. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. God, you know that me, this is a message for me. You know, that I know that if I'm going to do or say anything that the world doesn't like, somebody is going to have a problem with it somewhere. And God, I, I just pray that that doesn't silence us. I pray that we are people who say, I'm going to do or say what you ask us to do in spite of what people think. I pray for the courage to do that. And God, when we get tired of it, or we get scared or intimidated. God, please help us get our eyes off of the situation that we are in and get it focused on you. And help us, God, to remember that you are in control of it all. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.